standing. I got to tell you, my daughter, Abby, who's laughing at me right now, is so uh, in tune always. She's, her ears work better than most people's. Uh, she's like got bat sonar uh, wherever she is in the house. I think I've mentioned this in the past. She's watching me right now, reading my lips because I went and started singing a wrong line to the thing, and, she, and, I, and I didn't even look at her, but I looked up and I knew, and there she was looking at me, starting to laugh. So if you could all just give her a light smack as you leave today. First um, Peter chapter 5, if you could turn there, I'd really encourage you to stay with your Bible open today. We're going to stay in the text. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read 1 through 7. And this is going back on that uh, idea of preaching some elder sermons, because I can take some past, a past series I did and kind of rework them, but I'm finding I'm spending more time doing that, which is probably good, but it's keeping me in the subject that I need to be in to continue writing this book. This will probably be the last one. I want to get into the book of Luke, probably, and then back into Leviticus eventually. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, let's pray. Lord, ask that you would attend to us here, that this would become eye-opening in some ways, reassuring in other ways, that we would stick with it. In Jesus' name. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We'll stop there. Again, if you can keep your Bible open, that'd be great. You may be seated. So, as an introduction, I want to point out something first, that Jesus once said that he was the good shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus also said right after he said those words, he who who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11 through 14. And two ideas stick out to me that describe a good shepherd in his relationship to his sheep. One is that he cares. 
He cares for the sheep. The other idea is that a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. The sheep are highly important to him, more important than his own safety. Jesus' description of a good shepherd made me think of Bob Krieger's description of someone whose business is to work with animals that he shared last week. Bob said domesticated animals require feeding, watering, sheltering, and protecting. And then he stated, anybody who has animals, you're the servant of the animals. It's because you care about them. And that kind of hit me. Then I thought of David, who was a, as a younger man was tending his flocks out in the field, and he cared for his sheep to put his life on the line fighting bears and lions to protect them. And according to the Bible, the congregation of the church are sheep. It was Jesus' metaphor. After the resurrection, Jesus says to Peter, who's the one who writes our text today, he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, Peter was the one who betrayed him, as you recall, right? Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The purpose of every church elder is to shepherd the sheep that belong to Jesus. He decided to entrust his sheep, his people, to Peter and to the other apostles and to every elder through history who has been put into the office. Peter took on the task. He took on the office of a shepherd, the office of an elder. And that's what we're going to discuss here. And you'll see here that that is what he understands a shepherd to be, an elder. Peter gets serious with elders regarding their role, and he begins to do it in verse 1 of chapter 5. I'd like to read that. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We'll stop there. To elders, his appeal to elders is only a few sentences in this letter. It's not directed here to the entire congregation. It addresses the elders. He writes, I exhort the elders among you. And notice, Peter did not say to the elderly, as if he were referring to all the old men in the church or all the old people in the church. This will become evident in verse 2, where he exhorts them to shepherd the flock and not greedily or for power or 
shepherd, but to do so for the chief shepherd, Jesus. Elder is often used as a title of a position requiring older age, hence the name. If age has nothing to do with the title or the position, then why call it elder? Now you'll notice that Peter is a fellow elder here in this first verse and someone who looks forward to glory. Okay, just as Jesus assigned to Peter to feed and tend the flock, Peter's passing on the assignment to the elders. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder. He's not leveraging his rank as an apostle. He was at a higher place than the elders of the church, a higher position. Apostles were special. He places himself instead in their same shoes. For he knows he has to feed and water and shelter and protect the sheep. And since Peter's letter is addressed to the elect, okay, if you'd go back in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says he's writing to Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. So I suggest what he's saying to elders here is the same that he would say and does say to churches everywhere and forever. Peter tells them he saw Jesus suffer for the sheep. That he looks forward to future glory with him, presumably, with Jesus, which that glory has not been revealed yet. He labors toward it. He believes he is one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And in that, he implies that there is a glory then waiting every dutiful shepherd. It especially comes across that way about the shepherds experiencing this glory down in verse 4 where it says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, so what is the charge he gives to the elders? What does he tell them? He tells them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Another translation, New King James Version says, serving as overseers. The New Testament, it it produces, and Jesus produces for us, a pre-existing, ordained government for the church. God established shepherds to tend people. The metaphor makes church members Christ's sheep, but they've joined a flock which has under-shepherds. Jesus established the office of elder and also deacons to care for the flock. The elders are to oversee. Each one answers directly to God for how he performs. 
The Apostle Paul told Timothy the office of overseer is a noble task. But based upon all the responsibility an elder must carry, it's not an easy one. Now, I think sometimes we have misconceptions of what an elder is supposed to be doing. Some of us don't think an elder is doing that much at all, and in some cases, that's probably true. In our tradition, the CRC, Reformed tradition, in fact, a letter would go out from the church council calling a man to take on the office of elder. We think we want you to hold the office. And they thought, years ago especially, I don't think I'm worthy. Which is a proper response for any man who knows his own sin. I don't think I'm worthy. But many still felt obliged for the good of the church. Their duties had become, I think, watered down. Consisting of things like a monthly council meeting, administering the Lord's Supper, maybe taking their turn as a representative to classes, occasional home visits, and then meeting for prayer before worship. And in some instances, they got involved with discipline. I can't fathom that what the typical office-bearing elder in today's society looks like, I can't fathom that those duties were, are as robust as what Peter had in mind. But as in all things, it really depends on the person to excel with God in the office. The intention and design of an overseer is to care for Christ's sheep. Remember, Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep. Twice he said it, as well as to tend to them. And so a necessary trait of a good shepherd is that he has to teach and maybe preach, guard against wolves, shepherd souls, and maybe get a stipend of money along the way to offset the time necessary which takes him away from his other labors. There is a lot to shepherding. The office requires investment. And I think that's why often in the Hebrew tradition, the elders were men of leisure, men who had built up enough wealth that they did not have to labor so frequently. Let me suggest something to you men, all of you men. The three of us, okay, right now, Paul, Bob, and myself, the three of us who hold the office, and others of you who can become worthy successors, we need succession in the office. I suggest we all pray. Just pray. And here's what we should pray. And I'm not taking women or young women out of the picture. I am as far as being an elder goes, but out of the picture of praying 
and wanting good office bearers. Here's what we should pray. Pray that God will create in us a deeper love for his church. Pray to Jesus that he would impart what he feels for his bride into you, into me. This is what we need. Love for sheep means more than our studying. It means more than our growth and knowledge. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a love and concern for the people who are part of us in Elto, for the family in the, in the pew behind you, for the person two pews up. Because if you do not love these people, if you don't really care for people, the task will be something you, you would do grudgingly because you must, not willingly. Those of us who have been ordained to the office of elder, it demands that we do not abdicate the work or forsake it or resign our duties, but that we will fulfill our ordination. Bob and Paul and I, uh, God has committed to our care a pretty small portion of his flock. Alto CRC. And we've got to shepherd them. Next, Peter addresses the heart of an elder in verses 2 and 3. What the elder should not be and what he should be. He, he does it in sentences I call the knots and the buts. And look at the text. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Next one, there's three of them. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then the last, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So just one, two, three, I'll sum up the first one. It says, not under compulsion, but willingly. I sum that up to mean not according to your selfish heart or stone heart, but by a spiritual heart. We should so love the church, its people and her Lord, that we prefer, okay, we prefer to tend to her rather than neglect her. Caring for these people is what we want to do. It says, John Piper writes, God wants men who want the ministry, not those who act out of external compulsion. Second, the second not but is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And I, I take that to mean not for money, but for love. Money cannot be your reason. Nor should we ever think we can pay someone to shepherd for us, guys. A hireling, a hireling will not lay down his life for the flock. Jesus told us that. Two weeks ago, I, I preached at the congregation in Madison, CRC, Crossroads. 
And I told them not to solve their problems. They've really dwindled down to hardly any people sitting in the pews, about 18 from 100-something, I think, similar to what we went through years ago. And I told them not to solve their problems by hiring the right guy, the right pastor, and leaving it up to him. We are the ones who shepherd the sheep, the mature men of this fellowship. And I implored them to think along those lines. No church ultimately succeeds relying on mercenaries, or as Jesus warned, hirelings. The building up of the church will occur when those among us who possess a pastor's heart begin to actively govern. Furthermore, younger men, you may show wonderful signs of a shepherd's heart. That's terrific. But it will take a long course of time to become an elder. You need multiple decades Whatever your future, I suggest you demonstrate now an eagerness to tend the sheep by loving Jesus and his people. An elder must also do the scary work of protecting the sheep from attacks of lions and bears. They threaten from outside the flock and require the courage of David. But a good elder knows he must protect the sheep from within the congregation as well. From erring sheep, leading others in the wrong direction, or stubborn sheep, refusing to move at all, or the occasional wolf in sheep's clothing. Sometimes erring sheep stretches thin and elders eager to serve heart. The final of the three not-buts is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I interpret that to mean not for power or prestige, but by example of service. This office holds little worldly status in a decadent age. Maybe in good times it is valued, but in bad times not too many see the value. I can't imagine why any person in our day would be fleshy and and want the office as a power trip. If you recall our chief shepherd, he suffered utter humiliation as he laid down his life on the cross for the sheep. He purchased with his blood these here, which we are called to oversee, men. So recognize the office of elder is a governing responsibility 
But it's a foolish person who thinks that governing is an opportunity for the self-righteous flexing of muscle. Pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, the only privilege you're given is to humbly pull and push the sheep and steer and guide them. You get to feed them and water them and shelter them and protect them. You don't get to stand on a pedestal and point. You must lead by example. You cannot teach You cannot teach the sheep, do what I say, as the Pharisees taught. Your objective is to have the sheep follow your example, do what I do. And that's not always easy, to keep that in your head, men. I compare it to the apostles. James and John as younger disciples, sons of thunder, Versus Paul, the apostle untimely born. James and John needed maturity. In Matthew 20, when their mother, the mother of Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus with her sons, she she knelt down to ask a favor of him. He asked, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them, all three of them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. You see, these two disciples and their mother, they still needed to learn what it meant to be an apostle and a shepherd in Christ's church. These two guys, they previously wanted to call down fire on people, on people's heads. Now, both of them grew mighty in maturity in the Lord. John was considered the apostle of love. Well, when the ten heard about what was going on with the mother and her two boys, they were indignant with the two boys. And so Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. No lording, but serving. Now you compare those two guys at that time in their younger age to the description of how Paul pursued the office. And I'll give it to you in his own words, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. You've got to love this guy. He writes, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were 
gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I really look forward to meeting Moses, I mean Paul, more than any other Christian from biblical times. I've got a few others in more recent times like 1800s, (laughs) more recent. Not lording, but serving. Who better than Paul to exemplify this character, except for maybe Moses? Back into 1 Peter 5, verse 3, Peter turns the metaphor on itself here. He kind of, by suggesting that the best shepherds, the best ones, set the example of how to be a good sheep. Those are your best shepherds, the ones who are the best sheep. John Owen, he wrote, I think truly that no man preaches that sermon well to others that doth not first preach it in his own heart. He who doth not feed on and digest and thrive by what he prepares for his people, he may give them poison as far as he knows. For unless he finds the power of it in his own heart, he cannot have any ground of confidence that it will have power in the hearts of others. Peter says the chief shepherd awards good shepherds with the crown of glory, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, when Jesus appears, I'll tell you this, both people and angels will fully see what you gave of yourself or didn't give of yourself. Even as now, the spiritually minded, they see it already. That is the everlasting benefit of leaving it all on the field as a shepherd. The one who pours out his life with the heart for Jesus and the sheep gets a crown. Whereas the poorly motivated shepherd likely will get something. To young men who should aspire to be an elder someday, I think all of you should aspire to hold such an office. As Paul told Timothy, it, was a, it is a noble task. Let's consider the remaining verses. Verse 5, likewise, you, are, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
other translations will spell out in particular that it's not just younger people, but younger men. Young men, it's about the sheep. It's about setting an example to other sheep. And here's a question. If you're to set an example for other sheep, how should you behave in response to your shepherds? Peter is suggesting either you respond in humility or you are responding in pride. The Apostle warned, the Apostle Paul, this is, he warned that this person who could potentially become an elder, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 3.6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now that wasn't referencing a younger man per se. However, every younger man has only been a convert himself, even if he grew up in Christ in the space of a short life. So how recent is that younger man a convert? And the temptation, the temptation to become puffed up with conceit is equally valid then. And Peter says, God does not bless pride. He is against it. He opposes it. Peter tells younger men to submit to those who are older. I believe especially church elders. This is humility. For them to refuse the elders is a show of pride. But what if they're wrong? What if I'm right? We'll get to that. Matthew Henry warns, there is a mutual opposition between God and the proud. A mutual opposition between God and the proud. So the word signifies. They war against him and he scorns them. He resisteth the proud because they are like the devil. Enemies to himself and to his kingdom among men. That's strong language to a young buck. They're like the devil? So it stands to reason the humble person will submit himself or herself, okay, to proper authority, to the office bearers. Not only in the church, but to the ministers of the home and even to those ministers in the civil realm. This does not mean you're giving yourself over to all forms of tyranny. No, it shouldn't. It better not. Nor does it mean that you should sin when directed to do so by someone in authority. Heaven forbid. Certainly, you should persist in truth, always. 
but also with respect shown to God's pre-existing governors. On humility and pride, John Piper recommends humility can only survive in the presence of God. When God goes, humility goes. In fact, you might say that humility follows God like a shadow. We can expect to find humility applauded in our society as often as we find God applauded, which means almost never. To boil that down, it just means for each one of us. If you're going to go it on your own in the week, if you're going to make it happen on your own, you will not be humble. That is the essence of pride. So then, young men, you need to demonstrate patient appreciation for the elders, not disrespect. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. This is Peter's advice. It leads to godliness. It means you obey them and respect God's design for them in your life. The Apostle Paul tells the Christians in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. I say, amen. What does joy look like from an elder's perspective? To, to me, it's someone who comes hungry, hungry to worship. They act, first of all, they come to worship. They ask questions to gain understanding. They recognize that God has given to them the pastor elder to help them come to maturity. These sheep, when they find teaching disagreeable, sure, they bring their questions or concerns or confusion directly to the elder. No one should assume all teaching will be flawless. These sheep seek answers. Humbly. A young man who is tender-hearted toward the Lord will demonstrate humility toward the church elders. He will intentionally learn how to clothe himself with humility toward others. Verse 5. He will try daily to put on the garments of respect for peers as well as elders. Submission seems like a large pill for people to swallow. Know this, that when someone opposes godly rule, then they will find themselves opposing God. This is the warning given in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. These clothes, you have to put them on. Consciously. Like underwear and a shirt. And pants. Humility is what should come between you and others. A humble spirit 
should be the apparel people see. Not the apparel you only wear in a church pew for an hour and 20 minutes. It should become your appearance when you discuss questions of truth. It should become the robe of your conduct. And this is all so much easier said than done. Listen. You may be correct about an important point of truth. Young, young guys, younger than me. Let's just say, that's all I can say is young guys. Younger than 60. You may be correct about an important point of truth. Yet you can stain the beauty of it by how you present the point with your attitude. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I would add, even when they're right about a thing, even when you are right about the thing, you'll stain it by your attitude, which is pride. So you could be scripturally correct and God is against you. Put that one on. Because you're being a jerk. Amazing. I speak from experience as a younger man and as a man who's still figuring things out. Also, when you are truly clothed with humility, it means you recognize that you don't know all things and or all circumstances. You don't know a lot of things. Nobody knows a lot of things. We know tiny bits. Scraps, crumbs, specks. Our knowledge is small and our experiences are very limited. No matter what you think of your grandness in intellect, you know this much. You've experienced this much. Furthermore, those people and things the the elders do and see, the elders must battle against or sheep, they must comfort and correct those within the church and hovering around the edges of the flock. Those elder responsibilities are also often outside of your purview. You don't see it. You don't know it. So be very slow to judge. Do not pass judgment on the elders or young men on the other sheep, for that matter. It's, it's unbecoming when younger men are overly censorious, when they proudly show off their holiness by correcting any who don't meet up to their expectations or their view of a truth. God opposes the proud, opposes them, but gives grace to the humble. Take it, take it from a man who still behaves in ways in which he's embarrassed. As you grow older, you will begin to learn that you are merely a drop in the ocean. A drop. That's a good thing to learn, really. That doesn't mean you are insignificant. It means you should learn your place. 
and not get too big for your britches. Don't take yourself so seriously. Humble yourself under God. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God knows your heart, younger men, and all reality he knows. So humble yourself under his mighty hand. That is where we all can find solace. It is satisfying to know that God is all aware and keeps people accountable when things don't go the way we think they should. You can learn to go about things with propriety. Don't think you're right and disrespect your elders who you believe no less than you, like, what can they offer me? You know, I, as I grew up in Christ and learned some things, and I'd oftentimes wrestle with them, with the pastor of whatever church we were attending. And I liked those pastors. I respected those pastors. I thought they were wrong at times. But I did not treat them with disrespect. And that doesn't mean I get a lot of credit for the other junk I've done in life. Okay, But that's propriety. The problem is the proud person lets others in the church know of his unparalleled commitment to God and his word. He's a truth seeker. How he is so right while others are so wrong. And he hurts the church. He hurts the church with his pride. He takes a damn the torpedoes approach as he presses on against those in authority and the sheep, the sheep become dis- dismayed. I don't know. Are they, are they on the right page? Is, is, did he preach what was good? Uh, and they, they begin to wonder if they can really rely on the shepherds. Thank you very much. So obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. This requires humility. And only God can produce it. It's his recipe. We can't make it. You you have to ask him for it. The thing about putting yourself under God's hand is that God is mighty. Okay? And his hand can suppress. And it can lift up. That is always our hope. The point is that those who humbly stick to their knitting will get what God wants them to have. You don't have to force your way into anything. He's got it covered. Ultimately, you've got to get this into your head. And we all do, really. God cares about the sheep more than you do and more than I do. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would indeed teach us your lessons, that we would be more humble in life, in, in, our, in our personhood, that we'd clothe ourselves with it and know that in order to get these clothes, we must be right in your shadow. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.